green around the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. Bye, bye, butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Welcome to Green and Growing. Happy Saturday. You know this about me. I love my field trips so I can learn from experts in their fields. And here I am bringing what I've learned and seen back to you on the show. In early June, I visited UGA. Oh, how I've missed the classic city so much. And I was introduced to the trial garden at UGA by Dr. Alan Armitage, well-known horticulturalist, author, and retired professor of horticulture from UGA, and so much more. Follow the Green and Growing Facebook page for behind-the-scenes videos about many of these plants and to find out more about Dr. A, what he's up to, and where to find his books. It's always a great time with this man. you got to listen. <laughs> Not retired today. I drug you out to show me the trial gardens here on campus. And for someone that doesn't know, what is a trial garden? What's happening here? Actually, this is kind of fun, and, and again, I'm retired, but I'm not retired. There's no way in God's green earth you've ever, I just, I mean, I'm still busy. I never don't know how I ever did it. But having said that, this trial garden started, gosh, early to mid-1980s. And the whole idea of a trial garden was to give the companies and, and the landscapers and the people, gardeners even, some information about how plants do in the heat and humidity of, of Georgia. We can talk all we want about the fabulous breeding in California, Germany, Holland, and Canada, but they really have no idea what true heat and humidity is. Today's it. Today is, today is a pretty good example, but it's a place where the plants can show off their stuff. The breeders of various companies around the world send material to the trial guards at UGA. Sandy and John Ruder and the people involved in this, they grow them, they take care of them in the greenhouse, they put them in the garden, and they evaluate them. So there's real data. This place would not exist. You and I are standing in prime real estate at the University of Georgia. This would have been a parking lot, guaranteed, or a building, guaranteed, if there was not this garden here. And I may say, the excitement that people have for this garden, both the horticultural community, that is the horticultural industry around the world, and of course the local community. Uh, this is a great walking spot. People love coming here. They have a whole email list of, of, of fans of the garden here. Uh, so it really, is, it really is fabulous. But it is here for a reason, and the reason is to get data. And now when you all dreamt this up and began it in the early to mid-80s, how did you get the word out internationally to breeders that this is the place they want to try out their stuff? Well, there were many, many trial gardens, and again, most of them further north, Michigan and Ohio and New York, etc. Trial gardens are nothing new. They've been trial gardens forever. But when I came down here, don't forget, I'm a... I'm a Canadian. I'm a crazy person from a different country, but I had been involved in many of the universities I mentioned and knew what was being done, and the company supported these things because they wanted data, and of course the Midwest is where the huge market is, but the Southeast United States was really expanding. And I came down here and said, well, we got to do this because this is, gives us the opportunity to bring industry and academics together. And all of the great things that come off of this to gardeners, landscapers, and greenhouse people is just an offshoot of all of this. So I just started. I mean, you know, how does it start? We just started. We just I mentioned we kind of borrowed the land here, put in a few plants. I had met by that time enough of the industry people said, hey, are you interested in trialing with us? 
they some of them did. We got some data, then some more did, and then some more did. And, and in fact, it's been quite an evolution. It's great fun. I sometimes do a talk on this place, the history of it, and what it started like, just this whole green thing, and then where we are today. And you said one of your favorite projects when you were here overseeing the garden was vines. And you've written a book about vining, you know, maybe flowering vines, all kinds of things. A lot of what I have written, and, you know, thank you for being here. And, you know, I've written a ton of books. Other than being known for perennials and annuals and stuff, I have done vines because I... I just think vines are really an overlooked part of the gardening community. They're hard for garden centers to do. I mean, they just, they're big and they kind of have need maintenance. But for gardeners and for landscapers, there's a lot more in life than just a climbing rose and a clematis. There's a ton of really cool vines. And we did a lot of them here. And that, that was sort of the idea behind let's do climbing plants or as they call vertical gardening. <laughs> so we did that. And you know, this is a great trial spot to do it. And how are the students of the school involved in the gardens? Are they looking at different diseases, maybe insects, following those kinds of data? Uh, This garden is, quite truthfully, a lab for people entomology we got bugs you know uh you know the the whole disease thing pathology they come and visit we've got uh people who collect little butterflies and bugs and all that stuff we have the art department over here doing beautiful whatever they do so this is really now as i say that this is a place that is taken advantage of by the georgia community it's also not terribly well known to get here it's sort of tucked between buildings you got to know where it is and, of course, for horticulture students, this is Mecca. And, of course, they have a ton of volunteers because this is just one of those places where volunteers love to be. But having said that, for the students, when I was here, that was the best part of it. And any student who worked here quickly learned the meaning of work, and they quickly learned the meaning of work in crummy weather at times. So as, as much fun as we had, it was, this was a job. And anybody who was going through here easily found a job in the industry or wherever they wanted just you and I looking at plants where we found ourselves weeding. That's always a job. <laughs> Doesn't, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it's a garden. Therefore, by definition, there are weeds. And now the back row, there's a lot of perennials. And you said uh, some are native. A lot of these plants are coming from breeders, like you said, around the world. But how important are the native plants? And, and the perennials are quite fascinating, too, here in the garden. I'm talking about history. I know you're going to talk to Sandy, who's the manager right now, and she's going to bring you up to date. But the fact is, nobody was doing perennials when I came here. I mean, just in the southern United States, southeast United States, maybe a lantana, you know, maybe a few things. You know, there were perennials, but nothing was really going on. And not that I did a whole lot, but I said, come on, let's get them over here and let's take a look at them. And that was part of the impetus of all the research I did on perennials and, you know, the writing I did on perennials. A lot of it was, let's see how they do. So you'll see a lot of perennials here. Some that I just collected, I said, hey, let's try them out. Others, um, you know, people will send. So it's, it's, it's really kind of cool, and it's important. Of course, you see where the perennial industry today in Georgia is. It's unbelievable what's happened. You know, I'm happy just to be a small part of it, but good grief, that's, uh, that's where we got a lot of this information. Truly, what a treat it was for me to do this walkabout, as he affectionately calls them, with Dr. A earlier this summer. And we'll hear more from Dr. A in just a few minutes about vines and the method of gardening he adheres to in his own yard. But you heard him reference Sandy. Sandy Bagani is the trial garden manager at the UGA Trial Garden to tell us how these plants make their way to Athens from all around the world. 
you have a dream job in the garden all day. It is a lot of hard work and it's a labor of love. Yes, you're absolutely correct. This is a dream job for me and a whole bunch of other people who I could not do this job without. So I, I like to say that I do everything that nobody else wants to do, but we're extremely lucky to have tons of volunteers. We have students that support us. We have paid student employees. We also have student volunteers. We have interns, which is a new program here at the Trial Garden. So the Trial Garden's here. A lot of plants come here from other countries, and they want to see how they're going to do in this Georgia climate, in the heat, in the humidity. How do y'all receive those plants from the Netherlands, from Japan? Do they just come in the mail? How does that start? We receive plants um, in lots of different ways. We receive seeds. Those start coming around February and we start our seeds in the greenhouse. We have a mist irrigation system. We also have a growth chamber that we can sort of give the seeds that are a little bit that need a little bit more attention, the right conditions that they need. So we start receiving seeds in February and our volunteers and students help us get those germinating and get them under the mist and get them ready to go and catch up with the plugs. So after the seeds arrive, then the plugs start arriving. And plugs are basically a mini plant, so smaller than what you would see at the garden center, but larger than a seed, obviously. So we get most of our plants as plugs and we transplant those into four inch pots. And then all of our four inch pots go right into the greenhouse. Once the, the roots are fully formed, and once we reach our frost-free date, which is April 15th, all of the plants go uh, into the garden. And we have everything planted by May 15th. And that's also, we can host our open house in June. So everything is growing and blooming and ready for display at, at, our, at our June open house. And so far, the ones I saw outside today are, and some get so large. And there's how many raised beds, would you say? 20 raised beds, and each raised bed contains about 24 plants, give or take. But then we also have all of our hanging baskets and containers because not all the plants go in the beds. Certain plants are more suited for containers and hanging baskets, such as uh, certain petunias. They don't even want to know how they're going to perform in the in the red clay soil. So, But with prime real estate in limited space, once something starts to just get out of control, you know, the coleus are getting really big. There was a breed of sunflower that he showed me that's just kind of starting to spread and take over and how do you know what to prioritize we plant our garden anew every year so we receive four to five hundred new plants and that means we have to make space in the beds so if we have something that is a perennial we might dig out the plant and add it to our perennial collection to make room for more annuals um, if we decide that maybe nine coleus is too much uh, we can always pull out every other plant and make room for the plant so that they can really grow to their full potential. Uh, we, we decide whether the pruning is a reasonable amount of pruning. So really, this is a trial garden. And we're not doing as much as maybe a commercial trial garden. So we're sort of a research and educational trial garden. Uh, we also want our plants to sort of mimic what you would see in sort of a home gardening situation. So we want to give the gardeners a chance too. We, we don't want to put in too much input because then that's really not allowing the plant to show off what it's capable of, what, what the plant can really do. 
I'm sure there's a checklist. I'm sure in the trial garden there are things you're checking off. The sturdiness of the plant, the color, the vigor, like what are just some of the highlights of what you're looking for to report back to these breeders? We evaluate all of our plants every two weeks. Criteria we're looking for is both the quantity and quality of blooms. We're also looking at the foliage, so the health and the color of the foliage in the plants. Maybe how much fertilizer the plant needs, so whether it seems to be a heavy, medium to light feeder under these conditions. We're definitely looking at resistance. So if one of our trials just seems to be performing much better in terms of you know, being resistant to thrips or spider mites, where, whereas maybe all of the other verbenas are getting something and one just seems to be doing much better, uh, we would give that one a much higher score. Uh, we are also looking at uniformity, which is really important, especially to landscapers, because when a landscaper wants to plant a mass planting, you kind of want to know that all of the plants are going to be uniform or not. So maybe that's not your style. Maybe you want more of a rustic style and you're not interested in uniformity. We, are, we take all of these things into account. And outside factors, too. I'm glad you talked about that. Like disease, insects, y'all are taking note on what may be more susceptible to an insect. We are. And so this garden is really a haven for pollinators. And so we're not adding a lot of inputs in terms of chemical pesticides. Um, We do use fertilizers, of course. If you don't use fertilizers, your plants are not going to grow. However, we don't want to kill off all of our pollinators, and the garden is really actively involved with a lot of the local pollinator organizations, and we have the entomology department in here collecting butterflies every other day, so we want this to be a resource for everyone. And it is. You've got to see it. When we come back, the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend, plus more with Dr. Alan Armitage next. Next on Green and Growing on WSB. Green Green and Growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. Number one, plant these vegetables before mid-July to allow time to mature before frost. You can still do tomatoes, okra, corn, and lima beans, and also maybe one more round of cucumbers, squash, and snap beans. Number two, plant pumpkin seeds now through the middle of the month. Plant them about an inch deep and make sure the vines have plenty of room around them, and they'll do better if you mound them just a bit. And number three, centipede and Bermuda grass may be stressed from the heat and the lack of rainfall. Raise the mowing height about half an inch to an inch until the stress is eliminated and always mow with a sharp blade and you don't have to bag the clippings just leave them to decompose on the turf when we come back more from my visit with dr alan armitage vines that he loves that he has in his landscape and what i call cluster gardening it kind of stressed me out but there's a reason for it next on wsb It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Hey, it's Ashley Frasca. Good morning. You're listening to Green and Growing. So my learning with Dr. Alan Armitage did not stop when we met up at the University of Georgia Trial Gardens. I then stopped at Dr. A and his lovely wife Susan's home in Athens. And yeah, he debunked a few myths for me. And, and how does he go about maintaining a beautiful yard perfect for entertaining? 
your method of gardening is you just said fill it up and I think a lot of people are intimidated by the thought of cramming too many plants in one place because you still need the airflow you still need you know they have their moisture needs and that kind of thing how do you do it yeah, well, that's because people have read too much <laughs> overthinking <laughs> it overthinking you know of course plants compete in the woods in the meadow they compete everywhere they compete in your garden. So when I say fill it up, don't worry about putting your daffodils in and then something right on top of them because the daffodils are going to decline and then what's on top of them is going to look good. So I've got like five things right here where we're talking about and um, they all find their place. And believe me, the plants are far more adaptable than we are. So <laughs> so I just say fill it up. And the other thing, of course, weeds can't get in. Yeah, that's, uh, a that's a really <laughs> big benefit of cluster gardening like that is choking out weeds. How important is mulch? Because you've got some really good no, mulch here. Mulch. What is that? Compost. That's compost? Compost is absolutely the number one most important thing in the world. So every year I put in a load of compost, which we're very fortunate where we live here. Our landfill does a really good job on making compost. We can go get a pickup load for 10 bucks, and we just throw it every year for the last 10 years. I put compost down. So it actually looks like dirt. <laughs> and I put mulch in if I think about it, but I'm pretty lazy, so sometimes I don't. And you've got in and amongst some shrubs, miniature shrubs flowers, vines. We've got climbing roses as well. You've got your tomato plants right there, not a separate place. They're right in with everything else. My fennel, basil, tomatoes. It's just sticking in the middle of the garden. First of all, I don't have room for a vegetable garden as much as I might like one, but come on, truly, Ashley, how many tomatoes can one person eat or zucchinis or squash? I mean, I'd like to have some more tomatoes because I do love BLTs, but... <laughs> He's right. So after inspecting and admiring every single thing in Dr. A's yard, he reminded me that I don't give the plants enough credit. Some of the vining things that he has, David Austin Rose, sure, Clematis, yeah, but what is this? This is a little Dutchman's pipe. It is a little vine that kind of just wheels its way through things. You're not going to really climb it anywhere, but it's already, what, four or five feet tall. But it has a, <laughs> just a really cool little flower. And you don't even see it. So that's half the fun of gardening. Kind of a lily pad looking yeah. leaf. Yeah, and it's a nice leaf. And of course, you can see too that when it finishes flowering, it makes all these seed pods. You know, I can share this easily. And there's another one starting. Anyway, it's kind of fun. And you just said you're not all for the traditional trellis. If you're going to have a vining plant, what can you use to let it climb up? There's a rose, believe it or not. And it's going right through that uh, maple there. It's going up here. And that's okay. Yeah. Again, these plants can figure it out long before we can. Most of my clematis are up something or other. And then now tell me what you had against the fence. What was this red rocket? Hot lips, hot lips. And it's lovely. It's, it, it's beautiful. And it's a hummingbird magnet, absolutely hummingbird magnet. So you have all these different things you want to try. You have a limited space. You're constantly changing things in and out. How do you know when it's time? I think it's painful for gardeners to decide when it's time to remove something and replace it with something else. How do you know? Three years. If it doesn't do it in three years, it's gone. And I say that in all due respect. That's why I say when you're paying money, you know, it's good to listen to you and maybe listen, maybe read something I've written or talk to whatever, but do the best you can. But you're going to sometimes pay some money, but think of all those crappy hamburgers you're eating, <laughs> and they're not doing anything for you either. So, um, now do you th truly throw something out or do you just move it somewhere else or give it away? Give it away. Yeah, it's easy. The neighborhood loves this stuff. And it's not like they're terrible plants. They're just not doing it for me. There's some dutsias in here. I took some other old ones out because I wanted to put some new ones in. And so, and I took a bunch of irises out of there just because they're overgrown. That's the other thing. They just get sometimes, they just get so many. 
and you want to try other things, but <laughs> in this place, as you can see, I run out of space, so. Give a plant three years to see whether or not it's going to thrive, be successful. Uh, with perennials, like when you're talking about irises or something like that, or even hostas, about how often would you divide those? Personally, as a gardener, I like the big clumps. I don't want to divide it just because it's got four of them and I should divide them, unless I'm really needing some plants. And of course, if you're buying one plant and then you got five next year and you can't have any money, you got now five plants. But I like the big ones, so I divide them when I just, when it's time. And actually, when I need space. There's no science to it. No science to that at all. That's the thing about gardening, actually. There's no. There's a ton of science to horticultural science. There's a ton of science to breeding. There's a ton of science to lots and lots of things that we do with the plant world, the plant kingdom. Gardening, have fun. Give it a try. You know, if you happen to kill a plant, I'm really sorry. You got room for something else now. Pretty simple. There you have it. Dr. Alan Armitage just says gardening. Keep it simple. Have fun. So really enjoyed bringing that visit to you. And hopefully you can tell in this radio interview how much fun we had talking about one of his favorite places to relax and entertain. Well, not only at his own home, but at the UGA Trial Gardens. And also check out the Facebook page. I've posted videos of our visit together. Search Facebook for Green and Growing WSB. And everything this man has written is wonderful. Good reference books. Books about perennials, vines, cut flowers, and even short stories. That can be found online at alanarmitage.net. That's his website. Alan is A-L-L-A-N. AlanArmitage.net. And you know what? Enter the discount code Ashley and you will receive free shipping on your books. Uh, So I didn't learn this recently. This is something that I have known about myself. Uh, I was talking about the heat and how that's actually kind of energized me to really do a little more gardening here recently, planting some perennials, being able to cut some things back, uh, laying some new stepping stones in the yard, of course, keeping up with the vegetable garden. But yeah, one thing being out and so over anxious in the garden is I know I'm really susceptible to poison ivy and I get it every year and sometimes I get it twice a year. And every time I get it, it gets worse and worse and worse. So here I am with Band-Aids on my left arm, and I have a long sleeve shirt on today. And then I'll probably in a few nights end up sleeping with a T-shirt wrapped around my arm with rubber bands on each end to make sure I'm not spreading it or touching in my sleep or rolling around, changing the sheets and the towels every day. So here I am lamenting to my coworkers, yeah, it's, you know, it's summertime and Ashley's out in the garden. She gets poison ivy. And I was told when I came in this morning that Judd Hickenbotham left some advice for me. Ashley, please remember, leaves of three, let it be. (laughs) Okay? Yeah. Okay, Judd. I get it. And uh, meteorologist Christina Edwards piggybacked on that, too. And she's got some good advice. She's not teasing me. Don't get beat by the heat. Make sure you stay hydrated. And, of course, it's okay to take breaks. Come on out from the garden or if you're mowing the lawn, you want to go into the air conditioning, especially if you start to feel that you're getting kind of dizzy or you've got a headache or even if your stomach is starting to rumble a little bit. Those are your cues that you're starting to overheat and you want to go inside. See, we look out for each other here at WSB Radio. (laughs) Thank you very much. So I think it goes... Leaves of three, let it be. And I think like leaves of five, it's alive. But that's stupid because it doesn't have to have just five leaves to be alive. I mean, most everything that's green outside is alive. But I guess that's more referring to uh, Virginia creeper, which I don't really have a reaction to. But I do understand some people definitely break out when they come in contact with Virginia creeper, too. So those terrible leafy vines really, really need to be careful when out in the yard about those things. I'm going to talk to Hugh in Jonesboro. Hey, Hugh, welcome to the show. 
I just wanted to tell you what I personally had experienced with poison ivy. I'm 88, and I've had a lot of it. I take a bath cloth, fold it over, fold it over, fill it with water, you know, get it good and wet, put it in the microwave, Ooh. and you'll have to find out how many seconds. And then it's going to take it out so that it's so hot you can hardly touch it. And then press that against the poison ivy. Now, you don't want to burn yourself, but I hold that and say, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and then I hold it for how long. And then that will keep it from itching, I would say, a half a day or more. Wow. But yeah, maybe a good bit more. I like that. And I think it's key what you said, Hugh, is pressing that rag against your skin, not doing any rubbing or anything like that, just holding it still and pressing it in place. But yeah, it must extract right. something from your skin to take the itch away. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Okay. Thank you. Oh, great to hear from you. I appreciate it. Yeah, from one who knows. You've had experience and so have I. And back when I really started getting bothered with poison ivy, I was commenting to Walter Reeves all the time. I was in here with him every Saturday morning for eight years thinking, my gosh, I've gone and done it again. And he had good advice, too. I guess the Atlanta Journal may not be delivering papers anymore. I, I don't know if that rumor is true that it's now all digital. But remember back in the day when the newspaper got dropped at the end of your driveway, you would keep that long, clear plastic bag and go ahead and cut finger holes in the or poke holes in the end of it and put that tall, clear plastic bag. It would go up to your elbow and then be able to just rubber band it or secure it right above your elbow and then go ahead and put your garden gloves on. And that way you're offered protection, you know, and then hopefully maybe you have a T-shirt on or something to cover the upper part of your your arm, your biceps. But uh, that's a great idea. And also, you know, there's a lot of glove companies too. Bionic Gloves uh, is one. And there are some at Pike Nursery that are rose gloves, right? So they're going to be that longer gardening glove where it goes up to your elbow and you have that protection But I still would try to avoid coming in contact with the poison ivy because all it takes is a brush of that leaf and you're going to get that oil on your skin. Or maybe the dog has it. The dog carries the oil on their fur and then unfortunately you can get it on your skin uh, contact that way. But it's always a good idea just when we talked about ticks as well. When you come inside and you think you've even been anywhere near poison ivy to go ahead and take a shower immediately uh, wash the garden gloves too It is not going to hurt folks If that's something you've just never thought to do You need to wash your garden gloves And you can hang them dry You know, you need to wash your pruners We don't think about that Disinfecting our pruners Just a word to the wise My goodness, I have experience with it And there's also a product I think there's Ivy Dry Which I have, but I've not used And there's also Technu I believe it's T-E-C-H-N-U And Technu is a box with two solutions And one is kind of a Degreaser, so to speak, as you've come in contact with the oil, rub that on your skin really good immediately within the first couple of hours after contact. And the other is, like you said, once you've got the poison ivy, you've got the itch, use the other solution to dry it out. You're listening to WSB. So as I said, this has been one of my favorite shows to put together for you and even more. Coming up in hour number three, we'll hear from Jim Putnam, host of HortTube. You can find his channel on YouTube with uh, information about blueberries, why they are so good for the landscape. Oh yeah, by the way, July is National Blueberry Month and he'll be followed by Pike Nursery with the varieties you've got to try that are in the stores now. Green and Growing! Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. 
I shouldn't say I have a favorite part of the show because all of the parts of this show are my favorite. I really enjoy spending Saturday mornings with you. Try to do this at least once an hour, just so you know what to do this weekend. Number one, centipede and Bermuda grasses. Those are warm season grasses. Could be showing stress from the heat and the lack of rainfall. Raise the mowing height half an inch to an inch until the stress is eliminated. We have gotten some rain, so hopefully they're in recovery mode. And always mow with a sharp blade. Don't bag the clippings. Leave them to decompose on the turf. That is really the way to go unless you've just let your grass get so tall it's got seed heads on it. And you know what? You may have a new lawn that you're trying to establish or a new home that you're not familiar with what lawn you have. Well, Once you figure that out, go to WalterReeves.com. WalterReeves.com. In the search bar, type Lawn Care Calendar. And there he has every calendar working with the University of Georgia Extension, every calendar for every type of grass, whether it's centipede, Bermuda, St. Augustine, fescue, and zoysia. 12-month grid of what to be doing when. And of course, some of those warm season grasses, now is the time to fertilize. You really should know the makeup of your soil, but it's just a good reminder of what to be doing when with your different lawns. Number two, plant pumpkin seeds. I'm doing this now through the middle of the month. Plant them about an inch deep. Make sure the vines have plenty of room. I don't even know that a raised bed's going to be enough. Like you need a lot of room for this. And also they do better if you mound them up just a little bit as well so that they don't stay too wet. And number three, plant these vegetables before mid-July to allow time to mature before the frost. You could get another round of tomatoes in, okra, corn, pole beans, and lima beans, cucumbers, squash, and snap beans. And I really found this has been the best year for my cucumbers uh, because I let them trellis. I let them grow vertically. The little tendrils hang on to the uh, wire just fine. A couple weeks ago, I posted on the Facebook page, and I may need to do this again, an article shared by Walter Reeves from the University of Minnesota Extension. And usually our gardening is not really similar to theirs, but they had great insight as to why you may be seeing some issues with some of your favorite vegetables, right? Whether they're not ripening fast enough, uh, people were reaching out to me about why the cucumbers were staying yellow, or you had a lot of flowers. You had a lot of flowers on your cucumber vines, on your tomato plants, and then within just a couple of days, the flowers dropped off and you didn't see any fruit. I really think that article is a great reference for you. I'll try to remember to bookmark it on the Green and Growing WSP Facebook page, but I'll give you something I learned. Tomato plant flowers, those little yellow flowers, have to be pollinated within two days. And they self-pollinate. The pollen moves around within the flower, so you can either shake it. Bees do help when they visit it or whatnot, but with it being so dry and so hot, that pollination did not occur within two days, and that's why the flowers fell off. Hmm, interesting. There's even more to learn there, so stay tuned. Hour number three coming up on Green and Growing on WSB.